Welcome to episode four of Big Shanks Radio. I am your host, Luke Callier, and this is the podcast where we speak to the who's who of barbecue. Season one of the show is proudly brought to you by Clean Heat Charcoal and Briquettes and Smoky Q Rubs and Sauces. In today's episode, we are recording live at the Norfolk Hotel, and we are speaking with their pitmaster, Alex Castilia. Alex certainly has had an interesting journey to get to his current role, and we look forward to getting into it in today's show. So let's get to it. Woo! Alex, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate kind of uh, you taking a little bit of time to have a chat to us. Question I like to start with everyone is what is the best thing you think you've ever barbecued? The best thing you think ever barbecue would be the brisket that I do here now. Um, something I've been working on for a long time and trying to develop to where I can figure out the, my own unique way of doing it. And I feel it's pretty much the best I've ever done. So talk us through that style. That style is something I've kind of came up and I like feel like it's Frio style now because I've made it here in Frio City. Um, it's basically you take a brisket, salt and pepper, which is traditionally Texan, but I feel it's like everyone likes to do salt and pepper. It's just really good flavors. And you just cook it on high heat, about five hours. You wrap it in pink paper and it comes out just primo. Primo. So yeah. what temperature are you running for five hours? About one, one 150, between yeah. 150, 155. So three Celsius. Celsius, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. 325. And then, uh, yeah, you're two hours in, you're wrapping baking paper, which no one ever does. I've looked it up several times. I cannot find anyone who uses baking paper, and it works great. So it takes through the difference between baking paper and kind of what everyone else, I think, mostly uses either alfoil or peach paper. Or uh, the grease-proof Butchie, yeah, uh, butcher's paper. paper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, those are fine. Uh, I find baking paper, because baking paper is used just for baking and uh, in high heat, yeah. it holds in a lot of that grease around the brisket. So as it's cooking, it the grease doesn't really get soaked in or drips away, and uh, it just kind of like just goes right back into the brisket itself again. And then yeah. you take it out. How do you rest it for a while? Or? About 15 to 30 minutes. Depends on the size. That's the tricky part about brisket. Is how big the brisket is. Is how long you should rest. If it's a huge brisket, you give it like 30 to 40 minutes. If it's a little smaller, 15 to 20. Depends. So yeah, that resting is very important with all protein. And uh, so resting time, definitely on the, the kilos you have versus how long yeah. you want to rest it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll get back to kind of the Fremantle style of barbecue a little bit later, but let's go back to the start of your barbecue story. How did you kind of first kind of get into barbecue? Well, I grew up around it, um, being from St. Louis and the rural areas outside St. Louis. Uh, my grandpa, they barbecued, uh, they did both uh, grilling and smoking. My uncle, same thing, barbecue, grilling, and smoking. I used to watch them. I always wanted to get involved, but being as like family members, you're not allowed to. You gotta sit back, you gotta let them do it. I have a big family too, about 60 of us. Wow. So <laughs> when we huge. got yeah, when we got together, you you did big barbecues. Yeah. You did those big things and you had a bunch of different sides. So what sort of pits were they kind of cooking on back then? We my grandpa had three. He had the traditional pit, which is uh cinder blocks. Wood on the side, shoveling in the coals on the bottom. We used to do whole hogs on that, or we would do briskets, or um, sometimes just different, like goat would be a popular one we did. Yeah. Um, you had the offset for uh, smaller stuff, 
shoulders, hams, and uh, ribs. And then he added, occasionally he would use a big smokehouse to do like country hams or even uh, deer carcasses and stuff like that. So basically any kind of rural country aspect that he did. Cause so what well, kind of like, take us through how many like briskets or, you know, like we would, just one whole uh, hog for the whole 60 of you or? Yeah, it was like a big family. So, yeah. and also like being in the country, when you did something like that, you invite your neighbors. So you'd have your neighbors come by. The next day, you go to their house. You hang them like the barbecue you did or stuff you did. So yeah, we do a whole hog or half a hog. Sometimes depends on the price of hog at the, t at the day. Uh, briskets do like four or five just to get them going, and you'd have those in your fridge for like three or four days. Um, goat, you'd do like a whole goat because you had goats on the property. And um, yeah, so basically. Um, and so did, you did a lot of watching, I'm guessing, back then, men being men, you were kind of like watching, off the giving, tools. Watching, <laughs> the beers, uh, collecting the beer bottles when they were done with them, yeah. uh, cleaning up, uh, keeping watch on the fire, stuff, stuff you the kids do. Yeah. So it's fair there. to say you kind of developed a love of cooking through that at the time? Or? My cooking came through my grandma, yeah. uh, spending a lot of time on the farm with her, being in the kitchen with her and watching her cook and watching her just do things that... You didn't see most. My mom was a horrible cook. <laughs> that's I think also where it came from. I like to eat good food. My mom wasn't that good, so I kind of like developed the, the ability to cook really good food. And yeah, so watching her cook, learning from her, and then when I went on my own, I started cooking, started getting into like chefing as a career because it was just good money and it was a way to constantly keep making money. And then I went to finally with the culinary school, went to the Cordon Blue crafting my skills a little bit better and then yep started like going to really good kitchens and learning from really good chefs so take us through kind of like that journey at the school like you know is that kind of um you know it's kind of a well-known brand yeah you know, like going to, going to culinary school there well i was cooking prior to that for maybe like 10 years just just, as, just start as a dishwasher and work my way up prep to like line cook and then finally i wanted to make more money i wanted to really understand what I was doing. So I was like, I'm gonna go to school. St. Louis, we have several different culinary schools, but I wanted one with a good name. The Cordon Blue has a good name. They're like a well-known college. And uh, yeah, enrolled, went to schools, very, very intense, fast program. And unlike here was apprenticeship, that's just straight schooling. So we had theory and we had to do like lab work at the same time, same day. And I was working full time, so. It was really a lot of juggling and trying to get things done. Pretty busy couple of years, I'm guessing. Pretty busy. One year. One, one year, year. One year intensive. One year intensive, of course. Yeah. yeah, very fast. Very, like, a lot of information. We did all basic classic French dishes, French-inspired um, program. And then we went to our world-inspired program. At the end of it, we learned Spain and other Italian, other, like, worldly dishes. So, yeah, really good. Learned a lot. Figured out, understand why things happen in the kitchen why this happens and uh what's going on in the microscopic level of cooking and, and all that so uh from there you obviously had a, a few jobs after that did you were you working in any kind of barbecue restaurants I should at, be, at that time before that i worked yeah. at barbecue restaurants i worked at a place called smoking owls in st louis and then i got to work for a short time at pappy's pappy's is a well-known place in st louis i got to know pappy kind of good and i got to see him cook and uh uh the uh, steel, the other the other pitmaster there, who also owns Bogarts. He's a really amazing barber. Those two guys actually brought I have to see the barbecue scene to St. Louis. 
kind of the reason why I kind of stuck in there to like learn yeah. from those guys. And what would you say the main thing about the St. Louis style is for those listeners who may not know about the St. Louis style? Uh, St. Louis style, St. Louis in general is, I'd say, a crossroads of America. It's basically Americana in a sense that it's what you would think it's going to be. It's sticky ribs, it's pulled pork with sauce, and it's like um, really thin cut brisket. We like to um, we take bits of everything and kind of mash it together to create what I feel is uniquely St. Louis. And that's what we're going to get from St. Louis is that crossroads of north, south, east, and west all merging together to formulate this almost Frankenstein of barbecue. And um, what would have been the number one thing you learned from being at, uh, with Happy? Oh, ribs. Ribs? I watched those guys do ribs. They do some of the best ribs I've ever had. And the way they do it is so so simple, but yet so brilliant. And it's one of those things I feel barbecue, in its essence, is that. It's simple and brilliant at the same time. So the simplicity of their ribs, like what, what did they do there? A simple rub salt pepper a little paprika and brown sugar they stick it into a big giant rotist like a giant rolling rotating oven uh, smoker and they do about four hours when they pull it out it comes right out they put a little bit of a uh, sauce on it and they wrap that up stick it into another warmer to you order it and when it comes right out gives it right to you i bet they were going through a few racks a day they usually sell out every sunday before five and every day it's pretty much just out the door yeah and so going back to then you finished your culinary school worked in a couple of restaurants and then kind came of, here and then you came here back yeah. out to australia yep, yep. Australia. i went down to margaret river first yeah i worked at a couple of restaurants down there then i went to rottenest island i worked at the lodge there for about a good six months Met my partner and we got together and I came into the city. I was a head chef at a cafe at Deepwater Point, but I really wanted to get into more of um, my roots. And then the job offer at uh, Old Faithful was coming up and I jumped on that because that's barbecue, something I grew up with. And I worked there for three years, then came into the North Gulf to take over their barbecue. And uh, did anything in particular drive you to come out to Australia or? Getting out of America and kind of seeing the world really yeah. drove me. Uh, yeah, just that, seeing a different cultures and being able to like be on the other side of the world and like live. Didn't know that barbecue was on this popular either when I first came here and then it just it exploded with this grassroots movement that's happening. It's absolutely exploded in the last couple of years, yeah. I think. And I think uh, obviously, you know, riding the wave of that and I think that the Norfolk's doing some cool things. So, um, like, I guess in general, um, did you ever think that you were going to be a, like a career in, in barbecue? No, in general, no. Because... Uh, Back home, barbecues like a dime a dozen. There's, they're everywhere. Everyone does it. Uh, unless you own a restaurant and have a name, it's really hard to make something happen or even make money because wages are low and all that. But yeah, so like I wouldn't even think about it, even when I was in culinary school, even opening a barbecue restaurant to make money. It was something on the side burner, something we did on the back end. But coming out here, it's like it's full throttle. It's going to be, and it has been, something that you can not only make money, but it's people enjoy it. And the uh, atmosphere around it is really, really exciting, which is great. And I think, um, you know, like I would say in the States at the moment, unless you've had a restaurant that's been around 20, 30, 50 years, sometimes 100 years in the barbecue game, it'd be pretty hard to kind of 
I guess, uh, you know, evolved to a point where people know who you are. You know, I mean, Franklin's done it in kind of 10 years, but there's a lot of places that's been around a lot longer. A lot longer. Not only that, like, St. Louis, I have to feel, we are more acceptable to, like, newer barbecue because our, like, restaurants that have that are really young. Like, Pappy's started in the 90s. Um, Super Smokers started a little bit earlier than that. And... Um, those are like kind of the, the forerunners. Uh, Terry Black from Super Smokers is like the godfather of St. Louis barbecue. He taught Pappies and uh, Steel and all them. And so we are more acceptable. Where you go to like Memphis, where they're like a lot older barbecue restaurants, they have more tradition. Memphis style has been around a lot longer. They're more like restricted. And even if you go in the farther south, you go like if you go to Texas, Texans are very restricted what they do what they want and how they want it and those are the kind of like hang-ups i feel about barbecue in the states versus here where there is no restrictions if it you can anything barbecue, goes yeah <laughs> if you can barbecue it they, yeah. they love it and yeah. that's the one thing i like, do like about australia yeah so i guess living uh where you were growing up there's obviously a lot of opportunities to kind of travel a little not too far for some interesting barbecue you got some um, good memories of particular road trips to to barbecue places oh yeah i've been to been to franklin's i waited in line there it's great um then there's a couple other places in houston and i went to it's really great i think one of the best i think and one of the most memorable is going to chicago and going up to sweet baby ray's place um everyone's like oh sweet baby ray's so commercial and they're like so over i'm like they're not overrated they're actually really good they do an excellent excellent rib and uh, the barbecue is quite quite well and the sauce is Love the sauce. I mean, it could be commercial or not. It's still good sauce. Uh, but going there and being at what I like to see, because Sweet Bay Rays is everywhere. They're actually coming in Australia now, but all over the States, it's just a well-known barbecue sauce. And be able to, to go into the restaurant, a very small restaurant, maybe 20 people, maybe less. That's, that yeah. is tiny. You would expect more. You would expect bigger, but they never yeah. increased the restaurant. They only yeah. increased the sauce. They sold the sauce worldwide, but they kept the restaurant small to keep that authentic barbecue-ness to it. Yeah, and I think... I always think when you go into these places where they're really highly rated by a lot of people that you kind of build it up in your mind and you kind of get there and you can kind of be disappointed. But when you get there and it's as awesome as what everyone makes it out to be, I think it's kind of like that kind of like really nice kind of sensation. Yeah, of feeling. I feel that kind of stigmata came to Franklin's Yeah, because it's such a long way in line. Yeah. And when you finally get into it, you're expecting so much. Yeah. And if it doesn't deliver that punch that you want, yeah. you're going to be even you're going to be more disappointed because yeah. of the long way in line. Yeah. Versus if you go to another barbecue joint that you feel isn't as good, but it does get deliver, you're going to be more impressed. And it's those that happens when you, do have, when you have that kind of name. Absolutely. I couldn't yeah. agree more. I'm going to take a quick break here to tell you about my sponsor, Smoky Q Rubs and Sauces. Smoky Q are a proudly WA-based company whose spice rubs are all made right here in Perth. Their rubs feature Lake Deborah Natural Lake Salt, which is a 5 million year old deposit situated in the remote regions of WA. The rubs are gluten and MSG free and contain no artificial ingredients or preservatives. I've been using their Fistball Rub, which features Frio's own Geisha Fistball Coffee and the Q has been tasty as. Check out smokeyq.com.au that's s-m-o-k-e-y-q.com.au and use code word BIG that's B-I-G for 15% off your first order. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. Now let's get back to today's guest. Woo! So um, you mentioned then uh, that you came here to the Norfolk. 
had a conversation with them about uh, you know like what you would like to do yeah my, kind of take us through kind of that conversation how that came to be it's kind of about a year or so ago I think that uh, roughly about a year yeah, now yeah. Um, yeah they interviewed me for the position and I told them my ideas like how, how I wanted to do barbecue I wanted to do it more hotter I wanted to do it with um, more of my roots in the St. Louis style but also kind of ex- expand to what I wanted to do which is like a prominently WA style, using WA ingredients, local woods, and local meats. And I kind of feel I've started to develop that more and more as I've worked here into traditional like aspects of WA. And did you feel like they understood much about the barbecue process and the time involved and um, that sort of stuff? That has been a growing process since I've gotten here because they blatantly told me they didn't know. They don't know about barbecue. They yeah. want me to take it over. They want me to run it. They want me to tell them what I need and how I need to do it. So that was freedom that you don't get in much places. It's pretty nice. And then with the growing of it, and soon we're about to reamp the whole front of the restaurant and the barbecue section because of the growing popularity of it. And I don't think they, maybe they expected it or maybe they didn't expect it, but I'm sure they're more, they're pleasantly surprised with it, I have to say. And so you arrived here. They had a they had a an offset in place. Yep, Talk the, us through kind of what you're using here, and, and um, I mean I've had a look at it this morning. It's a cool little setup, but it is reasonably on the small side. So take us through how that for the scale and the scope of the what we're doing is on the small side. But I make it work because I do hot and fast. My cook times are a lot lower. I can do like almost two loads of brisket a day. So it's about eight briskets, maybe even 10 if I really push it a day, plus shoulders and ribs if I can really push the, the temp and uh, the loading and unloading of it. Uh, doing hot and fast, I don't have to worry about opening and shutting of the, uh, the lid so much because I'm, temperatures are always high. Um, the smoker self's custom. The same guy who built the fence in the front fence in Norfolk, it's the same guy who built the uh, offset smoker and the rotisserie. He's a local artist slash boilermaker. He got together with uh, another barbecue maker slash boilermaker, and they kind of like created this big offset uh, smoker. One thing I do like about it versus other people is the firebox is huge. Per like chamber versus the smoke versus the firebox, the firebox is well bigger than you're normally going to get, which is nice, which means I can do the hot and fast. I can put more fuel in it. I don't have to worry about it overflowing or overfilling or just going too out of control. And um, kind of take us through that, like that first few days of kind of getting up and running, like and to understand that, but also the customers here, do they understand barbecue? First few days is actually funny. Um, I actually smoked out. The whole of uh, North Coast Street, <laughs> and um, I set the fire alarms off at the uh, college next door. Uh, then we had issues with me smoking out the actual hotel a couple times because <laughs> of the wind, not yeah. really understanding it. Uh, so yeah, the first. So few you got days, to know everyone really quickly. I did. And I yeah, got to see yeah. and meet a lot of the, the neighbors here. Going, why is the street completely cloudy? Yeah. Uh, so. Getting to know the smoker and its limits, and when to like when to start the flame, when to start the fire, to like not oversmoke the restaurant with the customers <laughs> as they're eating. It's yep. been challenging and yep. figuring that out. But yeah, I've learned, and it's been coming up now where I can control my smoke and control 
the flames a lot better with this smoker. Yeah, with the first month, <laughs> there was a few trial and errors in that situation, and yeah. <laughs> it's a learning process. It was very much well, learning. I think that's process. kind of like any man with his tools. You kind of like, and particularly barbecue chambers, you know, and and big offsets. You kind of got to learn how they how they run, how they live. You know, not only that. Heart bait is, or yeah, heart it's is. it's like any other equipment. You're gonna need to understand it. You're gonna know where the, where the smoke leaks, where the smoke doesn't leak. You know what what temperature does it like to be at, versus what temperature you want it to be at. That's <laughs> a big thing. Every yeah. every offset, every barbecue is gonna be just slightly different from the next, and you have to know it. Just like every brisket is gonna be different from the next. There really is no set formula, as there are just set methods. And um, kind of, what about um, I guess like the supply of. Uh, of meat you know like how did you kind of work, go with your suppliers i'm assuming that the suppliers of the hotel you know supplying two-bone steaks and whatnot maybe didn't really understand what you were after. i have brisket is a challenge uh, i have to say that here in wa i'm not sure parts of australia because i haven't worked there but yeah brisket and the brisket that i'm used to versus the brisket that's here is a bit of a challenge i like more fat they like to trim the fat off before it gets here um but it's we're getting this it's starting to come around where barbecue is so popular that these meat suppliers know what to give they know what the briskets they want they know what people desire uh, in this industry so that's coming around a lot more and a lot faster when i first worked at old faithful that was a big issue because these briskies come in and i would tell my head chef we can't do this you got to send these back maybe like six or seven briskets they were just completely cut up I think they use them more for like stews or other things. I was like, this is, you can't barbecue this. He's like, he would get mad and he would yell on the phone and like get more brisket in. But yeah, it's a challenge because, but it's, those are the things that happen, especially when it's something so new to like develop that, that, uh, that meat culture into what you need versus what has been standard here for like, I don't know how many years. And uh, many years, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and um, take us through what a normal day entails for you here at the Norfolk. I mean, you often hear stories of people working through the night, you know, in, in when barbecue, but hot and fast is probably not quite it's, so much that way. Well, I said before, brisket's about five to six hours, yep. so that gives me a lot more leeway. Uh, we pretty much do it every day. Um, occasionally, there might be some carryover, but I don't really like to have too much carryover. And definitely not the second day. I just, it, it's by the, that first day, everything carryover is gone. Uh, so it's, I'll give you a Friday. I get here about 8.30 to 9 in the morning, immediately start the smoker, uh, scrape out as much as I can, get rid of all the fat that's in it from the night before, and get it up to temp as soon as I can, roughly. Depends on the weather. It could be 30 to 40 minutes to the temperature I want. And then immediately start putting briskets in. And... Then from there, it's whatever meats we need. Do I need to do pork today? Do I need to do some lamb? I forgot some lamb special. Sometimes I smoke mussels for the smoke mussel special. Uh, occasionally we do fish here and there. I have to get that on. So it just depends on what we need for the day. But briskets, first thing that goes in. And you doing much uh, prep on the briskets? I trim them. Uh, I like to trim to like almost like a, like a teardrop shape. I find the flat end, round it off a little bit more than it comes in get rid of some of the flappier pits that are just going to burn and then basically I aerodynamic it out and because of that because the um, especially with an offset it's like a wind tunnel so all those little bits that stick out a little bit weird or like kind of like flappy or just not trimmed 
will burn. It'll burn really bad because of the turbulence that happens with the wind as the smoke goes around it. So you have to get it smooth, as smooth as you can. You can spend hours trimming it smooth. Dude's got hours. <laughs> so you basically get it to a teardrop shape to where the wind can kind of go over it nice and even. That's going to get a nice even scope time and nice even bark. You don't want one side to have a nice bark and the other side be really, really burnt to where you cut into it, just crumbles. That's kind of what you're not going for. You want them for that smooth, even barkness all the way around from top to bottom. And on a general day, you're selling out everything that you cook? Uh, weekends, we sell pretty good. Um, I try not to sell out. Um, I try just to get to the point where I'm just under or just over to get to the selling out point. But yeah, I've been keeping up with it so far. There has been some days and I feel bad for my customers. They come in around noon, about three o'clock and I'm already out of brisket. It's gonna be another hour or so for the next batch to come out. But nothing I can do. People understand that yet, do you think? Or it's still like an education process? It's an education process. Yeah. Um, Australians are really used to uh, Good, good quality service. You guys pay a high wage here. You expect good quality service, and you also expect when you come in to get the food that you want. To to try to explain that this is um something we're working on. This is like this is a baby. You gotta let it grow. There's a little bit of time to like get them to sink in. But the real good barbecue fans understand, and I know that they understand. They they expect it. They come in. This bridge is not ready. They're cool to wait. Or they'll come back later if uh, the chicken's not ready they're cool they'll wait they'll come back later like they understand that i think most people uh you know in, in barbecue understand barbecue just go yeah barbecue's ready when it's ready of course yep. and then they'll have a few beers <laughs> yep <laughs> so, or they'll go walk around frio and come back you know it's yep. like one of those simple aspects and what's the uh like feedback that you've been getting like um in you know has that grown or changed over the course grown. of the year to like course of the year like especially around now i've gotten really really good comments people quite enjoyed it um few surprises on it because they like because when i first started off it was kind of up and down me trying to figure things out me really developing into the style that i want to do uh so there was some trials and error there wasn't so as good as i like it to be and sometimes i just take the brisket off completely and that would really tick people off but if it isn't what i like it i'm not going to serve it yep. and yeah i've had some like off and ons um but yeah lately especially the past like six months it's been just really good reviews people are really enjoying it and uh, i also tell them anyone has a problem with it please come tell me uh, if you have an issue, if it's not yet to your liking, just come tell me. I'll give you a free milk car. You're going to go have pizza or burger later next time you come in. I don't mind. But I want to know feedback. I want to understand what the palate is here in Australia versus the palate that I'm used to back in St. Louis. Because I find St. Louis, we like our stuff spicy. I grew up with spicy food. I enjoy spice. And I try to pull that back. Yeah. <laughs> when I first got here, I was like spicing everything up. And the people <laughs> were just going nuts. Yeah. Like, the ribs are way too hot for them and yeah. i was like i eat them like doesn't seem hot to me i had to like take take a step back and be like all right they don't like spice as much as i like spice they're so been doing that been pulling back on this been amping up the sweetness uh it's just been it's been learning but i think now we've gotten to a good system where we can like kind of feed and represent barbecue the way i want to represent it and what would you say is the, the 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 thing that you've enjoyed most about the um the last year here uh working in the courtyard here like i have a really great view of frio and I'm, there's I'm always out. plenty of interesting people walking past this corner that's for sure it's, this is frio you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna not see 
interesting people. Um, a little bit different uh, back home, uh, this corner. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> <And the> farm. <laughs> it's different. St. Louis is more of um, it's a river town, and it's not really a port city as like Frio is, and it's it's old like Frio, but it doesn't have like the old buildings like Frio does. And I work in an old building because the Norfolk was like 18, old 48, something like that when it was like kind of built up by the odd fellows. So the difference is there, but at the same time, there's a lot of similarities. Like there's a big artist community here. St. Louis is not a big artist community. Um, there's really a small town aspect to a city here where St. Louis, same way, very small town. Um, Beyond that, like just similar differences, and but the sports aspect is another thing I appreciate. Big sports city I come from. We got uh, Cardinals and the Blues. I'm a big Cardinals fan, and coming here like such hot diehard uh, Dockers fans here, and I respect that. I like it so much that like that that is what you guys love. That is what is their their standard, and they promote them no matter what. Win or lose, they're gonna back them, and I like that. I, I agree. I've been back in uh, the Rams when they're in St. Louis for years. No, it, was, it was sad times for us. I, I was going to say, uh, can you talk about the Rams now? Yeah. Now um, they're not there? No, I'm not a fan anymore. I don't have to be. The reason <laughs> yeah. was when they first came to St. Louis, they yeah. won a Super Bowl. I backed them then. I, was, I From there on out, I was a fan all the way up till they left. When they left, I had, That's it. They're dead yeah, I had to be a fan anymore. I could go back to the Chiefs. Yeah. And um, City. have you managed to kind of understand the game of AFL yet? Yeah, yeah. I'm getting it down. Yeah. I've watched it here since it's been prominently shown last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm getting it. It's interesting. Weirdly enough, I played that game back in middle school. Really? Yeah, I did not know at the time. Yeah. Because our coach was showing us this, this weird way of buttoning the ball <laughs> and, and bouncing it every couple steps, yeah. and we could tackle each other for random reasons. We just enjoyed it because it's the random tackling. But it's smashing when, each other. Yeah, when I came here, I was watching, I was yeah. like, I used to play that. That's, that's so weird. Did you play a lot of sport growing up? Or? I played football yeah. in high school and a little bit in college. and um, But I also did judo in college and other things too. But mostly in high school is when I played yeah. my football. Yeah. Cool. Um, so like, I guess we've been talking a lot about um, the career here um, at the Norfolk. Take us through about, uh, like, do you do much barbecuing at home? Nope. Not at all? Not at all. <laughs> um, makes my wife very upset because she's like why don't you barbecue here man i do it every day yeah i'm, I'm not really in a mood i also don't cook that much at home for the same reason like i cook every day i'm at work like when i get home i have to cook but it's not something like oh okay wait to cook this it's like i gotta cook today so no barbecues at home oh uh, no i don't have my own barbecue no because nah, i get that's... all my barbecue fix here yeah fair enough fair enough <laughs> it's I mean, eventually, maybe when I start doing less hours here and I have more free time at home, I'll probably buy a barbecue. But I do a lot of barbecue in here. Like, are you here seven days a week? No, I'm here uh, five days a week. Yeah. When I first opened, I was here six days a week. Yeah. And I was doing doubles on the weekends just yeah. to try to keep up. Now that I have an apprentice who's helping me out, I'm here less time. But yeah, still, still here a lot, and we still do a lot of barbecue. So he's running the pit when you're not here, or yeah, yeah. And when I'm about to go on vacation, he'll be taking over the pit for the whole time I'm gone. So, yeah. and that's been interesting having a, an apprentice work with you. It's been interesting trying to teach my ideas to someone yeah. that I wouldn't think it would be something to teach anybody. Like I grew up these concepts on my own, 
And then now that I've actually succeeded with it, now I have to like kind of like show them to someone Pass it else. on. Yeah. Passing the bat. And I'm also free of my information. I think people find weird. When they come up to the uh, pass to talk to me, I tell them exactly how I do it. And they're like, wow, you're really open. I'm like, I don't have nothing to hide. Yeah. It's, I want to promote this and I want it to get out there. You got to be honest. Yeah. You got to show them. So, yeah. I'm going to take a quick break here to tell you about my sponsor, Clean Heat Barbecue. Clean Heat Barbecue Lumpwood Charcoal and Briquettes are manufactured in KwaZulu Natal, South Africa, using a sustainable, renewable hardwood invader species called the Mapani Bush. The Mapani Bush is found in some of the remotest regions of Namibia, and removing it assists in the regeneration of short grasses, which benefits the roaming native animals such as rhinos, zebras, and springboks. Clean Heat also employs around 500 people in these communities, which cut down the Mapani bushes, offering job opportunities that otherwise wouldn't exist. I've used clean heat for my last few cooks and it's one of the cleanest burning fuels I've ever used and it just seems to last and last. It's available all around Australia and if your local barbecue supplier or butcher doesn't stock it, ask them to get it in. You won't be disappointed. Clean heat barbecue. Fuel your passion. Now, let's get back to today's show. Woo! Um, competition barbecue. Not hugely involved here in Australia, but you've been to a few comps. I've been to a few comps and back home and a few here in Australia. Yeah. Um, I'm not involved in it because I just don't have time. Like, yeah. if I was going to do a competition, I would need at least three or four days to just concentrate on a competition to take it seriously. Um, if I don't have that time, I'm not going to do it. And that's, that's the reason why I'm not into it. Um, but I love them because they do promote barbecue. They do help the culture grow. They do uh, help people who don't barbecue get into it uh, they, and they help people who do do it professionally have an outlet for it so yeah they're awesome I'm glad there's so many of them here too which is different because back home there's only like a few two yeah, major okay. ones yeah uh, Memphis and May yeah. the Royal in Kansas the big name ones the big name ones yeah. those are the ones people concentrate on there's a yeah. few smaller ones here and yeah. there but Mostly it's the big ones that are the... Uh, Have you been to any of those? I went to Memphis in May. And how was that? That was really, really interesting. Yeah. How uh, many teams? Um, I think 100 teams, something like that, yeah. in Memphis in May. It's gigantic. I was with Smoking Owls at the time. I think I was like 20, 24. It's the first time I've ever been to like something like that. And it was just... And they went there to compete as a yeah, team? Yeah, they were there yeah, to compete yeah. as a team. Yep. I was there just to help and to like, um, watch the fires at night. But man, it was seeing that, that many tents just laid out over a giant field and there's all that smoke rising and you're like, wow, it's just, it's mind-blowingly how big it is. And do they run it in conjunction with a festival there or is it just the comp? The comp is the festival, yeah. basically. Um, it's all about the comp. I mean, there's nothing, there's music playing, but that's just for the comp too, yeah. so yeah. And you've been to a couple here? Yeah, I've been to the smoke on the water, uh, smoking in the city, so yeah. yeah. I've helped uh, Old Faithful, Gordon was in, I helped him out a few times, so yeah. And, um, you know, obviously it's, you know, getting bigger. Like, where do you think that um, it's got room for improvement compared to those big comps back uh, in the States? Uh, the improvement is just to keep it going. That's the hard part about, like, these competitions. The more you keep it going, then you get through the hard times, because there's going to be hard times. You'll establish yourself as the competition to go to. You'll get more teams coming to it. So just keep up on it and just keep it going and make don't, like, don't get deterred because you only have 20 teams this year and last year you had 30. It's going to get bigger. It just takes time and you got to invest that time into it. So it's more just watching it grow. It's the big thing. Absolutely. Steady state kind yep. of just as it grows, you know, more teams get bigger and bigger. Bigger and bigger. Yep. Yeah. More comps. Um, 
before we wrap things up, I um, have a segment which I like to call Quick Fire Favourite Five. So it's really just a quick answer, uh, quick hit type answer. So, favourite butcher? Butcher? Here? Um, I really haven't gotten into involvement in any butchers. Um, so I don't really have a favourite yeah, one yet. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, favourite cut of meat to barbecue? Uh, brisket and pork shoulder. Uh, favourite barbecue cooker? Offset. Favourite barbecue drink? Uh, bourbon. Any Neat. Any particular bourbon? Um, a Jack Daniels fan, but I also like Maker's Mark. Yeah, Maker's Mark. That's it's really good. Yeah, yeah. It's good. I've been to the distillery. It's a nice distillery. I haven't been there. I've been to the Jack Daniels distillery. It's in also Lynchburg, nice. I've been there but, uh, Maker's Mark is definitely my favorite. Favorite accessory for barbecue? Accessory to barbecue? Yeah, my skewer. Yeah, skewer. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess right. that's why you probe yeah. my meat with. Yeah. I don't have yeah. that. I don't yeah. know where it's at. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Um, so just in wrapping things up, what do you think's next for you and uh, and barbecue? Where do you see yourself in the, in the next well, couple of years? Once we reamp this place, uh, I'm gonna start doing like I like hate to, to use the word, but kind of like sushi style service here, where like you're able to come up to my uh, my pass, sit down, and for like an hour or so, I'm just gonna hand you little, little bits. bits of barbecue, yeah. uh, and that's kind of what I feel is the next step into barbecue, that more personal more um smaller dishes and more tasting menu ish style barbecue i think because it's not it's not around and it should be around i mean people come up to me and i give them tasters all, all the time now i feel it's time to let them sit down have a chat with me and i can just give them the ideas and some of the uh the meats that i'm doing right then and there and they can pay for it and they can have the drinks to go along with it it's very um, like Japanese teppanyaki style yes. where the chef is right there right and cooking it and, and, and serving up and having engaging in the conversation and the meal yep. with you, I think. Asking questions that you want and um, yeah, being able to like see the processes and stuff like that. I think that's what we're going to like try to do with this next reamp and I think that's, I feel, with where barbecue should be ending because right now you go into a restaurant, you sit down, it comes to you, you order and then when you're finished you get to go up and talk to the chef. This way, you're actually engaging with the chef. You're actually getting to see the meat getting sliced, and uh, you're getting to taste it right fresh. Maybe like two seconds from being like cut up, which is amazingly good. It's the best. It is <laughs> the freshest and the best when you can get it straight uh, when it's when it's cut off. That's for sure. Um, now, before we wrap up, um, shout outs to supporters that you've had along the way. Uh, Barbecue Events Australia. Those guys have been helping me and I've been trying to help them as much as I can. Uh, Jason and I mean they're really good. They're really good guys. And they're really trying to promote good barbecue here at WA. And they're trying to like get the movement going. They're putting their time. And these guys aren't, aren't professional barbecuers, but they constantly put themselves into that situation of being professional barbecues just to keep promoting barbecue and helping out other teams out there and different teams um, if they win a, uh, in a competition they promote that winning so uh, barbecue events australia i feel are really good in that grassroots movement that needs to happen here in wa and of course um we are here at the north norfolk um quick shout out to the norfolk and tell yes. us through your menu and and how people can come down and enjoy the barbecue here yeah, so you come to Norfolk um, during the week. It's right now. It's open at five. Hopefully, when the reamp finishes, it'll be every day from noon to close. Um, yeah, you come talk to me if you like, and I'll direct you to the bar where you order from. And the the menu options right now, which change with seasons, are brisket, 
pulled pork and uh, rotisserie chicken, rotisserie beer chicken, which is my grandma's recipe. And um, basically, yeah, you get different size, size change. We're about to do a side change here pretty soon. Uh, the British is going to come with a chickpea salad, and uh, pulled pork's going to come with baked beans and pickles, and the chicken's going to come with the cream corn and a uh, kind of a salsa on top of it. Sounds delicious. So make sure you, you do yourself a favor and get down here to Norfolk and try out Fremantle Barbecue yeah. uh, by Alex. And just lastly, where can people follow your journey? Uh, like on Instagram or Facebook? No, I don't have those things yet. No? Yeah. All right. So they've got to go to the Norfolk to see yeah, what you're cooking Norfolk up. To see what's going on. On, yeah. on Instagram I mean, or Facebook. Eventually I might get into it, but it's just been so busy doing this. You're worrying about the cooking, not showing the photos. Yeah, showing the photos. <laughs> uh, that's about it, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Alex, I really want to thank you for your time and wish oh, you all for the best for, uh, for your career here. And um, I'm sure you're going to be going to great heights here with the Norfolk. Um, and listeners, do yourself a favor. Get down here to the Norfolk. It is one of my favorites. I was talking with Alex before. I've had many a good nights down here over the years. It's a great little um, pub. And of course, to make sure you go up and see Alex and tell him that you heard about him and his story on, uh, on the Big Shanks podcast. Yeah, don't be shy. Don't be shy. <laughs> He's not. That brings to an end our chat with Alex Castilia. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Big Shanks Radio. And if you liked it, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave us a review. You can follow my barbecue and podcasting journey on Instagram and Facebook at Big Shanks Barbecue and check out our website at bigshanksbarbecue.com.au and sign up for the mailing list to keep up to date with all the latest of the podcast. Thanks again to our sponsors, Clean Heat Charcoal and Briquettes and Smoky Q Rubs and Sauces. We look forward to barbecuing again with you soon on the next episode of Big Shanks Radio. Woo! Click that like button. Yeah. <laughs>